Welcome to the Wetwired Podcast, Episode 8, Mass Formation Psychotics. I'm Sean Andes. And I'm Julian Paul Butt. Jules, did you know that Eric Clapton thinks everyone is hypnotized? Isn't he dead? I know, right? The, the guy was nowhere, and then all of a sudden, he's all over the news for like a blip. And it's all because he has the idea that nearly everyone is hypnotized with something like subliminal advertising. Uh, he, th- he blames YouTube for a lot of this. Now he's teamed up with fellow anti-vax retiree Van Morrison. And the two of them are releasing some singles and, well, they're, they're trying to just tell the rest of the world that we've all been tricked. Can't they just have another going away tour and call it a day? Well, I think he would have, except he's been, as in his words, he's been forcibly retired. So he's not even allowed to do that. Here's Eric Clapton talking about his troubles. How did we get here? What What is going on? That What's your opinion? Well, my career uh, was, had almost gone anyway. Uh, yeah. uh, I, I, two, for two years, uh, well, for a, 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 the point where I spoke out had been almost 18 months since I'd I, I'd kind of been forcibly retired, and uh, and I joined forces uh, with Van. I was follow. I got the tip that Van was standing up to the the measures, and uh, <laughs> I thought, well, why isn't anybody else doing this? And uh, and we go back. You know, I've known him since uh, we were kids, and uh, and I contacted him. I said, well, so what? What do you think? What's going on? And he said, "Well, I'm just, uh, I'm just, comp- I'm just objecting, really. I mean, if that, mm-hmm. but it seems like we're not even allowed to do that, and uh, <laughs> and nobody, nobody else is doing it." I said, "Were mm-hmm. you kidding? Nobody else?" He said, "Nobody yeah. else." He said, "Well, I'll, I, I'm with you. You know, what can you? Uh, have you got anything you want? Because there anything I can do to help you? Uh, have you got any songs?" And of course, it was silly. Stupid question because he writes two songs a day or something. Like he does. That. He and he sent me uh, "Stand and Deliver," mm-hmm. uh, which he had already. I didn't know he'd already recorded it, so I thought, "Oh man, I'm getting an unreleased Van Morrison song." I was over the moon anyway. Um, and then, and it was during the process of talking about that to another musician, and then getting excited. And then sharing that news, and I found that nobody wanted to hear that, and uh, and I was kind of mystified because uh, <laughs> I seemed to be the only person that thought that was an exciting or even appropriate idea with what was going on, and and that challenged me even more because uh, I'm one of the I'm a bit like him maybe or at least I'm I'm cut from a cloth where if you tell me I can't do something, I really want to know why. Yeah, uh, I can't do it, and uh, and it seemed like uh, a brick. I'd had a wall built around me, and um, but so I thought I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this, and I but I did make concessions. I did take out lines or change lines a, li- a little bit to just to um, pacify those that were I really didn't want to hurt people. I didn't want to hurt or, or scare, mm-hmm. uh, and, and needless to say, my my, my family and friends. Did get they got scared, and I think they were scared on my behalf. Oh, and that oh. also, I thought, well, why, why are they? 
what's going on here? And there seemed, there seemed to be this sort of, I didn't get the memo, whatever the memo was, it hadn't, it hadn't reached me. Um, then I started to realize there was really a memo. And uh, mm -hmm. that guy, um, Matthias Desmet talked about it. Uh, yeah. uh, and it's great, you know, the, the, the theory of mass um, hypnosis, formation. Yeah. It. And I could see it then. Once I kind of started to look for it, I saw it everywhere. And then I remembered seeing little things on YouTube, which were like subliminal advertising. Yeah. That have been going on for a long time. That thing about you will own nothing and you will be happy. And, and I, and it would, what does that mean? And uh, bit by bit, that I put a rough kind of jigsaw puzzle together. And, uh, and that made me even more resolute. And so, and so I went from that to looking at uh, the, the, the news stuff that was coming out in England and the UK, we had BBC, um, and it mm -hmm. used to be an impartial uh, commentary on world affairs and state affairs. Sure. And, and suddenly it was like, it was completely one way traffic about um, following uh, orders and obedience. and. Um, I thought, well, I'm not going to, I don't stop watching TV. And now I'm going to, and I felt really motivated uh, musically. I felt like I could, uh, it gave me, it instigated something which had really was laying dormant. I was just playing live gigs up until the lockdown and uh, without really being a social, uh, socially involved in any way. But then these guys that were in power really started to piss me, piss me and everybody. But I wasn't gonna, I had, I had an, I had a tool. Mm -hmm. I have a, a calling and I can, uh, I can make use of that. So I set about it and uh, started writing. You will own nothing and you will be happy. <laughs> that, that's the that's the subliminal advertising that Eric Clapton was able to uh, to discover on YouTube. COVID is Eric Clapton's Vietnam. This is <laughs> all those musicians that found so much inspiration in the '60s writing war protest songs. That that's all he needed to come back from retirement. He just needed a cause. I had to start taking notes, like I was in a fucking debate lecture hall to keep track <laughs> of the stupidity. And I, at one point he, he says, uh, you know, as soon as I started looking for it, I just saw it everywhere. Yeah, right, no shit. Exactly. It's called confirmation <laughs> bias. You could just imagine this sort of beautiful mind moment where he's just <laughs> seeing all the things connecting in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I, I just wanted to oh, point no, out go, one go other ahead. quick thing that I, I made a note. He said, well, we joined forces. And I'm imagining somewhere between the Power Rangers and uh, Captain Planet. Voltron uniting. <laughs> <laughs> With our powers combined. Do, do, you want, do you want to hear Van Morrison's protest song? <laughs> Fuck if I do. Yes. You've let them put the fear on you 
stand and deliver But not a word you heard was true And if there's nothing you can say There may be nothing you can do Do you want to be a free man? Or do you want to be a slave? statue of a bust of the statue of david with a gas mask on <laughs> stand and deliver is definitely not fortunate son it is fucking not <laughs> that song is terrible these people want to be oppressed so badly i i know there is no there, there is no life behind that song it's substanceless yeah there's and that's because the the outrage is is doesn't have any energy it's all about trying to portray portray themselves as these victims of this oppressive regime as if we're we're one step away from some sort of totalitarianism that if we if we have covid restrictions or there's vaccine requirements to get on an airplane then it's it's basically right next to standing in a soviet bread line the the rfk the uh, the the COVID guy, you know, the black sheep of the Kennedy family. Yeah, he was. He just gave a speech the other day where he was talking about how, you know, he feels like he's like he understands Anne Frank. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you do. Because evidently, like RFK has had the experience of being huddled in an attic somewhere and then being forcibly removed and then killed, like Anne Frank and her family were. Every time I go out and I wear a mask, I just feel the genocide. There were people showing up at that at that the event where RFK was speaking with homemade yellow stars that they had pinned to their clothing. Simply the fact that you made that at your house and then put it on and now people are making fun of you makes this a totally different situation than 1930s Germany. None of those people yeah. made those at home and then and then and, and decided to put them on as a statement. So how, how do you think <laughs> Van Morrison stand and deliver uh, compares to? I don't know, Ohio, or uh, maybe like uh, Eve of Destruction. I have a very firm no dad rock policy. Oh my god! In my Spotify playlist, the the, the boomer is strong with those two. That is for sure. <laughs> Clapton can still play the guitar. It sounds. I mean, he sounds. He sounded pretty good. It was. It was well played. Just yeah, absolutely empty of any sort of meaning whatsoever, though. The vacuousness of late career. Ser seriously, it's the vacuousness of the, the 2020s. There is an absolute yeah. hollowness to this entire movement. Everybody's jealous that, that Black Lives Matter ha has been getting all of this attention that they all need to be victims to. They're like, oh, well, if it, if, it, if it works for this entire class of people, you know, maybe it'll work for me, too. Maybe I can get some attention. Which is a bizarre form of whataboutism. Those people are being oppressed, but what about, but what about what me? What about me? My pain. I'm, I'm 76 years old <laughs> and I, I have to wear a mask. My, my children think I'm crazy. All right. This is from a New York Post article. I know. The Post. It's a terrible paper. I'm going to read it anyway. It's just an interview. And in fact, it's not even an interview. It's basically commentary 
on the rest of the video interview that we were already listening to. So this is just us being lazy. The 76-year-old musician went on the Real Music Observer YouTube channel to discuss how his life has changed since reluctantly taking AstraZeneca's therapy in 2021. I don't know why they call it therapy. It is a vaccine for COVID. Clapton has since become outspoken about his anti-vaccination stance. He claimed that he'd been duped into getting the COVID-19 jab by subliminal messaging and pharmaceutical advertising, and urged others not to fall for it. Whatever the memo was, it hadn't reached me, he said, referring to the mass formation hypnosis conspiracy theory, which gained traction in 2021 as part of an anti-vaccine propaganda. In related circles, it's also been called mass formation psychosis. No, actually, that's just what it's called. Credited to Belgian psychologist Matthias Desmet, the theory essentially points to a sort of mind control that has, been, that has taken over society, allowing for unscrupulous leaders to easily manipulate populations into, for example, accepting vaccines or wearing face masks. Unscrupulous leaders. <laughs> How dare they? They unironically are using this to describe the one side while not acknowledging the, the blatant ridiculousness of being the side that's saying this. Everyone who is wearing a face mask or getting the vaccine is under some sort of hypnotic suggestion, but everybody who is out there refusing to accept that there is a legitimate risk of getting COVID and spreading it to others is somehow immune to this. They couldn't possibly be hypnotized by their own ideology into thinking anything else, right? And hypnotizing is exactly the wrong word anyway. That makes it seem as if they're going to empty out their wallet to a stage magician or bark like a dog. That's not what hypnosis is. What they're talking about is groupthink, and somehow they decided they needed to rebrand it because it wasn't grabby enough. All right, more from the article. The Rock and Roll Hall of Famer also joked about losing touch with friends and family over his political views. <laughs> My family and friends think I'm a crackpot anyway. Over the last year, there's been a lot of disappearing, a lot of dust around with people moving away quite quickly. <laughs> I started talking crazy and then nobody was picking up the phone anymore. It has, for me, refined the kind of friendship I have. And it's dwindled down to the people that obviously that I obviously really need and love, he said. Inside my family, that became quite pivotal, he said. Speaking of wife, Malia McKinney. McKinney? Melia McKinney. And four daughters, Ruth, Julia, Ella, and Sophie. I've got teenage girls and an older girl who's in her 30s. And they all, and they've all had to kind of give me leeway because I haven't been able to convince any of them. Despite making headlines, others in the music industry have alienated him, Clapton said. I would try to reach out to fellow musicians, and sometimes I just don't hear from them, he said. My phone doesn't ring very often. I don't get that many texts and emails anymore. No one writes to the colonel anymore. <laughs> I, I just, I mean, his poor kids. Dad's cocking crazy again. Oh, you talked to him this week. I talked to him the other day. They have a rotating schedule on Google Calendar. 
Meanwhile, Clapton is just flicking his lights on and off and from his living room <laughs> to, to, to get the kids' attention on his lawn to tell him to go home. Meanwhile, Clapton has been known to throw his support behind other anti-vax activists. Activists, they're called including donating more than $1,300 to a British rock group who were slapped with fines for breaching COVID-19 protocol during a show in 2021. That would be not requiring vaccine uh, status or testing to get into an event. Aside from his work with the brown-eyed girl singer, Clapton also released a song, This Has Gotta Stop, last year, with a similar message. I can't take this BS any longer. It's gone far enough. You want to claim my soul. You'll have to come and break down this door. He's 76. He's not stopping anybody from doing anything. Clapton is obviously totally red-pilled and full of boomer energy at this point. But we cannot blame him. He didn't cause this. He is not the one that set off this mass formation psychosis craze that's infecting COVID skeptic Twitter. The person who really got this going was Dr. Robert Malone, with the help of Joe Rogan. This is a CNET article from January 20th. Mass formation psychosis is a new term popping up on social media and in Google searches, and it's both misleading and potentially dangerous. The medical-sounding phrase is used by conspiracy theorists and people opposed to COVID-19 vaccines to describe what they view as strange behavior, <laughs> such as standing in long lines to get tested and getting a COVID shot. Really bizarre stuff. <laughs> really strange things Super bizarre. in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> that is really unusual behavior. <laughs> The term started gaining attention in December when Dr. Robert Malone, a vocal opponent of the COVID-19 vaccine, who refers to himself as the inventor of the mRNA vaccine, appeared on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. So I, I want to jump in for a second. He has, I, I've heard him say this, he has uh, referred to himself as an inventor of the mRNA vaccines as an idea, as an inventor of the technology. Other people refer to him that as that when he's a guest on their shows. He doesn't correct them. The reality is that he played an important role among many other people who played, an imp who played important roles. And none of them, interestingly enough, are claiming to be the sole inventor of mRNA vaccines. With that kind of research, to claim to be an inventor or to not fucking correct people in in such a specialized field. Yeah, I mean, he didn't, he, he didn't do it's nothing, ridiculous. but he certainly is not going out of his way to share credit with all of the other people that he was working with. Yeah, other people have said this recently. This is, you know, I've definitely seen this other places, but this is not the 1920s or the 1930s where one person alone in a lab invents invents something like insulin or a vaccine for polio. It, the world does not work that way anymore. There are teams of dozens and dozens of people that have dozens and dozens and dozens of lab assistants. All of these people play an, an incredibly important part in the development of all of these vaccines and any sort of therapeutic medications. Yeah, Malone didn't do nothing. He seems to have genuinely contributed to this research. 
but he wasn't by himself. He suggested there was a type of hypnosis happening across the globe, calling it mass formation psychosis. The problem, it isn't real. Malone himself has since backed off from using the word psychosis in this context. As is the case with much misinformation about COVID-19 and the vaccines, this notion isn't based on factual medical information. It's an idea presented by one person to explain what he views as illogical behavior by governments and individuals during the pandemic. It's since been picked up by people who spread COVID misinformation in an attempt to furnish a purportedly medical explanation for behavior they simply don't like. So-called mass psychosis has been discredited by medical experts. There actually are people whose primary field of study is crowd dynamics and crowd behavior, how people, how an individual's behavior can change when they become a member of a group. That's a real field of study. It has research. It has a lot of people with different ideas that debate things. And together, they try to wind their way into a kind of understanding about how these things work. In this case... And perhaps they might be peer-reviewed. Yeah, well, if you're lucky. On January 12th, more than 250 medical professionals called on Spotify to stop the spread of COVID misinformation, citing Rogan's podcast episode featuring Malone. Malone has also been banned from Twitter for violating the platform's COVID-19 misinformation policies. Now, here, it's important to understand that Joe Rogan has an exclusive deal with Spotify. This isn't simply him being on Spotify in the same way that we're on Spotify. So, uh, along the lines of this Spotify angle here, with the medical professionals calling, asking Spotify to either remove this episode or any other episodes that have COVID misinformation. So far, Spotify has not done that. Uh, even Neil Young get, got in on the act. He gave Spotify an ultimatum and said, basically, you can either have my music or you can have COVID misinformation, like from Dr. Malone. And Spotify basically said, see you later to Bye, to Felicia! <laughs> So Neil Young's music is no longer on Spotify. All right, we're going to hear Robert Malone telling it like it is in his own incredibly dry, antiseptic way. I said, oh, you, I don't know if you saw the Brett Weinstein podcast with me and Steve Kirsch um, where that lit this whole fire all over the world. Brett ends with, the, with the, basically the question, if you listen to the long version, um, of... What's, how does this happen? How, how do we have this emergent phenomena? The, the how question, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, behind the how question is the why question. Um, the, 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 the how question of a third of the population basically being hypnotized and totally wrapped up in whatever Tony Fauci and the mainstream media feeds them, whatever CNN tells them is true. Um, let me illustrate that. The other day I was looking through New York Times recent articles about Omicron and pediatrics in preparation for this and for making some slideshows. And, um, and I saw this headline in the New York Times, um, epidemiologist and a vaccinologist, and the, and the title was, How You Should Think About Children and Omicron. It was, it was blatantly saying, this is how you should think. Mm. We're going to tell you how to think, okay? People kind of got to get that in their head. 
That's the world we're in right now. Now, what Matthias Desmet has has shared with us, brilliant insight, is another one of those, aha, now that part makes sense, um, which is that this comes from basically European intellectual inquiry into what the heck happened in Germany in the 20s and 30s. You know, very intelligent, highly educated population, and they went barking mad. Um, and how did that happen? Um, the answer is mass formation psychosis. When you have a society that has become decoupled from each other and has free-floating anxiety and a sense that things don't make sense, we can't understand it, and then their attention gets focused by a leader or a series of events on one small point, just like hypnosis, they literally become hypnotized and can be led anywhere. And one of the aspects of that phenomena is the people that they identify as their leaders, the ones typically that come in and say, you have this pain and I can solve it for you. I and I alone, okay, can fix this problem for you, okay. Then they will lead, they will follow that person through, it doesn't matter whether they lie to them or whatever. The data are irrelevant. And furthermore, anybody who questions that narrative is to be immediately attacked. They are the other. <clears throat> this is central to mass formation psychosis. And this is what has happened. We had all those conditions. If you remember back before 2019, everybody was complaining, the world doesn't make sense, blah, blah, blah. Um, and we're all isolated from each other. We're all on our little tools. We're not connected socially anymore, except through social media. Um, and then this thing happened and everybody focused on it. That is how mass formation psychosis happens. And that is what's happened here. Now there's ways to get out of it. Um, Matthias' recommendation is you gotta get people to realize that what we've got is a situation of global totalitarianism in his experience in Europe. Making people realize there's a bigger threat than the virus can cause a separation psychologically in this fusion, this hypnosis that has happened. The problem is then you're just substituting a bigger boogeyman from the current one and somebody else can come in and manipulate that. The real problem, and it gets back to your core point, we're sick as a society and we have to heal ourselves. And one of the things we have to do is come together. We have to recreate our social bonds we have to buy into integrity, the importance of human dignity, and the importance of community. That's how we get out of this. And I think that this insight of Matthias Desmet is really central to kind of making sense out of all of this crazy. We got a world in which the press is incentivized to push a storyline because they're all controlled by the same large funds that Pfizer is, and so is tech. I don't know how we're going to get out of it, but it's got to start with us. A few things. Ah, man. That Joker. There, there, is, there are so many things that he brought up in there. For, for starters, the comment that one third of the population is hypnotized into believing whatever Tony Fauci and the mainstream media tells them is true. I don't know what he's seeing as evidence of this one third of everyone being hypnotized. And is he talking about the US or is it the entire world? It's it's hard to it's hard to say because he at other points he talks about this, you know, this the the threat of global totalitarianism. For example, 64% of the US or around 64% of the US is is fully vaccinated. 
which is crazy low. But that is way over a third. And eight, almost 80% of the of the people in the U.S., like 76 or 77% or something like that, have had at least one dose of a vaccine. That's way more than a third. So what's going on with that? That's Are some of these people that are fully vaccinated not hypnotized? Or <laughs> do they? I, I, where is he even? Where is he even getting this number? I, I, I mean, I understand. I understand the. I don't want to like bash you know too much about the one third comment. Other than to say that it's just it doesn't even like it doesn't even hold up to any kind of scrutiny for a couple of moments. I know how people. You know, some people when they talk about things, they'll say, "I'm eighty percent sure," or "There's a ninety percent chance of something happening." What they really mean sure. is, I'm really, really sure, or there's a really, really, really good chance that this thing, this thing is going to happen. But in this case, how could he even mean it like that in sort of a, in, in sort of a colloquial kind of way? Because as soon as you think about it for a second, this one third doesn't really compare to anything other than a sizable portion. Maybe he means it like there's a lot of people and he doesn't want to be you know, he doesn't want it to be accused of exaggerating the problem. I don't know. Yeah. It just sounded ridiculous. But this article that he mentions from the New York Times as part of his research to get ready for Rogan's show. I mean, do people prepare for Rogan's show? I, I, <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, half the time the guests are just go on, to, on the show and like drink whiskey and smoke pot. I don't, are they, yeah. I mean, are they like, you know, building up their tolerance before they go on air so that they can hang with Rogan? <laughs> I I imagine a montage like Rocky with, with the eye of the tiger in the background. Right? Just like training to go on to Rogan's show. So Malone talks about this, this Times article, but he only mentions the title. That was the part that he was really fixed on was the title, How You Should Think About Children in Omicron. And he says, they're saying it right there. They're telling us how to think. I I mean, this is really just channeling Alex Jones already with the gay frogs. <laughs> but turn the frickin' frogs gay. <laughs> and, and he doesn't talk about anything about what's in the article. Like, to the extent that I really don't think he actually read it. I think he saw that headline. He's like, they did it again. Those bastards. <laughs> and, and it's such an obvious straw man. Where that's clearly not the intent of the title. This is another household, just like Eric Clapton's, where you can imagine a bunch of children and grandchildren that are just thinking to themselves, I better stay away from grandpa. He's talking crazy again. He's been he's been watching the news. I got to I, I got <laughs> to stay away or they don't want to sit at the table for a family dinner because he's going to ask, ask them what they learned in school. Who left the remote out again where grandpa can get it? You know what happens when he watches the news. I mean, have you ever been in that situation where you were around somebody who was like, they ask you what you learned in school, and then you and you say something very innocently that you, oh, we read this book or something. Well, let me tell you what really happened. <laughs> it is bizarre to me that, on the one hand, a lot of these same, a lot of these same sorts of people will portray. All of these hidden messages, and they'll try to decode everything and figure out what is the message that they really meant to say. As if the secret lizard people, mole people, rulers of the world <laughs> are 
taking the time out of their day, out of their busy schedule ruling the world, to encode secret messages to whom it's unclear, but maybe to the decoders so that the decoders can figure it out and then tell their audience, I guess? And when they're not saying that there's a secret message that you need a decoder ring from a cereal box to get to, then they're saying the opposite. Ah, it's right out there in plain sight. You can tell, because they said it. Well, it's the, it's the same kind of thinking that that fiction is disclosure. So they, they the, these elites <laughs> that are doing all this crazy shit and controlling everybody behind the scenes, they can't help it. They just can't help but to tell people. But they can't just tell you straight because then they'll just blow your fucking mind. They have to put it in clues and movies and on TV shows and in the headlines of newspaper articles. So they, the people, you know, because they just can't, they just can't contain themselves. They're so excited about all the shit they're pulling on everybody that they just have to tell you. The, the article that Malone's referencing was written on December 22, 2021. So to see what I was missing, because he never talked about the article, I tracked it down and everybody else can as well. It literally took about 30 seconds of searching on the Times website. <laughs> the actual title is How to Think About Omicron's Risk for Children. It's a pretty straightforward opinion piece. It doesn't even have an, an authorship attribution. Uh, it's basically just written by the, the New York Times opinion column. Yeah, So author or authors wrote this. The article follows a Q&A format where they interview a woman named Jennifer Nuzzo, who's an epidemiologist at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. See, there's the angle. Bloomberg. Yep. <laughs> now we know where the money is coming from. Uh, she focuses on infectious diseases. And it also interviews Dr. Peter Hotez, a pediatrician and scientist at the Baylor College of Medicine. He studies vaccines. This is from the piece. Answering the question, my children are too young to be vaccinated. How should I think about Omicron's risk generally? The incredibly evil and terribly suspicious Jennifer Nuzzo says, I know many parents in this situation who are very worried. I really feel for them. Being a parent to young children is terrifying enough when it's not a pandemic. I generally try to encourage people to think of risk in two ways. The risk of getting infected and risk of becoming seriously ill. A high level of infection in the community does increase the risk of infection in all ages, with the likelihood that Omicron will drive an increase in COVID cases in communities. The risk of infection is unfortunately increasing. But vaccinating children isn't the only way to protect them. Generally, we've seen that we can increase the protection of unvaccinated children by ensuring that the adults in their lives are vaccinated. This remains an important way to protect children who are too young to be vaccinated. You can also reduce the risk that your child will be exposed to the virus by avoiding crowded indoor spaces and, out and other gatherings, using rapid tests before social events, and having adults wear masks around their young children. Regarding the risk of disease in young children, fortunately, all the data we have suggests that the risk of their developing severe illness if they become infected is much lower than for adults and teens. New data also shows that the risk of long COVID among children is low too. 
I would take more precautions if I had infants under 12 months of age, as they may have a larger risk of severe illness than toddlers. But fortunately, it's easier to limit infants' exposure, as many are not fully mobile at that age. Children with underlying health conditions may have a greater risk, and parents should consult with their children's medical provider for specific guidance. While it's still early, we've not yet seen any data from the Omicron variant to make us worry that the risk of severe illness among children has changed. These relatively low risks, and our ability to lower them further, may help ease some anxieties over the next few months. The rest of this article is exactly the same tone. It just goes one question that has probably troubled people after another. It is all about parents with young children and what they should be worried about and what they shouldn't be worried about. So the takeaway here is, I'm guessing that Malone is entirely against this sort of balanced, nuanced thoughtfulness that is trying to take in as much information as possible and then make some kind of an informed decision. The next thing that Malone brings up that really stood out is referring to the originator of mass formation psychosis, Matthias Desmet, as part of some tradition of European intellectual inquiry. Those were his words. And I, I don't think the guy didn't invent a new type of philosophy. He didn't invent, uh, I mean, he's, he's, he's not creating a new movement. He came up with a term. This, <laughs> this kind of storyline, though, aside from the obvious ridiculousness of it, is an example of how we, we, la we can latch on to something and then really overinflate the 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 people who started talking about it in the first place because we want to convince people that this is a great idea that it really explains a lot it has a, it has an amazing power to to help us understand the world and so we take whoever came up with it and we exaggerate their importance we make them into this larger than life sort of figure Religious figures are treated this way because you can't just have the founder of a new branch of a religion being just some regular guy who came up with some ideas. He needs to have an origin story like a superhero. And in this case, yeah. he's the, the, the flag bearer for a European a tradition of European intellectual inquiry. I, I wonder, I really wonder how the, how people, especially in the MAGA crowd, are handling Malone exalting European intellectual inquiry as something that everybody should think is important, because that is a real mismatch with the America First group. Well, well, just as just as consistently, Jordan Peterson, he talks about Western philosophy and Western culture and Western values over and over and over again, which is a stand-in for. Eurocentrism, although less pejorative typically, which is typically a stand-in for civilized versus uncivilized in some way, shape, or form. I don't know. I, I still not I, every time. I, I still not every time. I, I, but... I still think that the MAGA crowd doesn't want anything to do with anything European ever, <laughs> because it's some sort of like effeminate cappuccino drinking communist plot, communists. Yeah, all of it. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that they they want anything to do with Europeans. But it's interesting that you brought up Peterson because I hadn't thought about this. He is a psychologist, and I wonder what he's going to have to say about mass formation psychosis as a psychological principle, because. It doesn't exist anywhere else in any literature whatsoever. It has literally never been written about. I, As far as I know, he was definitely kicked out of his tenureship well, for being a kook. He, I, I, think, I think that he, he was forcibly retired or something like that. But you actually can't, oh. you can't get kicked out of a tenureship, I don't think. I think he voluntarily left because of reasons. <laughs> Malone goes on to apply mass formation psychosis to explain the rise of the Nazi party in Germany. So the Germans, he's telling us, were literally hypnotized into blaming Jews for everything that went wrong in their society. They were focused on this one thing, he says. He doesn't say the word Jews, but that's what they were focused on. That's what everything was focused yeah. on. And he's and he says they 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 literally become hypnotized and can be led anywhere. They will follow that person. It doesn't matter whether they lie to them or whatever. The data are irrelevant. So it doesn't matter how much you tell people, well, actually, Jews aren't responsible. It's a very complicated issue. They're like, but we need to get rid of the Jews anyway. This is really just connecting it to existing phenomena that we already know. We're talking about such well-established things such as confirmation bias, cognitive dissonance. This is, this is not new territory. He's describing marketing. He's describing how uh, when people are anxious and afraid, they tend to be more susceptible to influence. Especially especially influence that speaks to their fears directly. We talk about, in marketing, pain points. That, that's the term that's used. Malone getting on Rogan was probably the highest profile gig that he's gotten so far. But that's not the first one. Or the only one since then. He has made just about every stop that you can make on this podcast conspiracy circuit. <laughs> the Malone Tour, he, coming right, to a city near Seriously, you. there should be a t-shirt. <laughs> he was on Bannon's show. He showed up, <laughs> he showed up on, uh, on Eric Weinstein's podcast, uh, the Dark Horse podcast with his wife, Heather Haying. And the absolute pinnacle for respectability, he showed up on InfoWars. For a guy who's trying to tell everybody far and wide that there are legitimate reasons that we should be concerned about the safety and efficacy of mRNA vaccines, to show up on a show like InfoWars that has just such an amazingly bad reputation. The only way I could take this guy more seriously is if he was on Coast to Coast. That would be better than InfoWars. Now that we're finished talking in this episode about the mole people, we're moving on to Malone, who has some things to share with us. I, at least George Norrie is going to ask questions. <laughs> so now we're finally getting to it. Malone's had his taken his stab at describing what mass formation psychosis is, and we made fun of it. Because it doesn't make any sense that everybody is getting hypnotized in, in Nazi Germany to hate Jews. What really seems to be happening as far as, you know, because there's a definition of a term and then there's how it's used. 
So even though this is a relatively new word and it's people can easily just go listen to videos from Matthias Desmet and see what the man himself has to say, and we'll hear from him in a little bit. That doesn't stop people from just using it however they want. What yeah, what better place for people to just do whatever they want with with a word than social media? Basically, mass formation psychosis has become the one term that conspiracy thinkers are using right now to explain why most people think COVID is a real concern, why most people choose to wear a mask when in public, and why around 64% of Americans are fully vaccinated. That's still a crazy low number, but it is a lot of people. And if it wasn't for Eric Clapton mentioning it publicly, that he, you know, what he's calling massive gnosis and Robert Malone, who recently, you know, and Robert Malone calling it out on Rogan's podcast, probably nobody else would have heard of it. But now it's everywhere. Tom Bevan, the co-founder and president of the right wing website Real Clear Politics, tweeted a graphic with the results from a poll conducted by Morning Consult and The New York Times. The poll has been going around or the graphic of the poll has been going around for a while. So this wasn't the first time that I saw it. And really, the poll's no big deal. It's just a picture of some some crunch numbers. The poll asked, how worried are you about getting sick from COVID-19 within the next year? And then the, the morning consult and the Times grouped the answers to that question based on people's vaccination status. All right, no big deal. Bevan commented on the graphic, mass formation psychosis. Colon. 68% of those who are triple vaxxed are, quote, somewhat or, quote, very worried about getting sick from COVID. This is inflammatory as far as this guy is concerned. I, it just goes to show that we are really seeing the world through different lenses or different filters or whatever analogy you want to use. We are not looking at the same things. Or if we are looking at the same things, we are drawing really different conclusions. Because I read that, and then I see that, and I know he's he's expressing outrage or contempt or humor or just poking fun at the people who are triple vaxxed and still somewhat are very worried about getting sick from COVID because he's saying that this is an example of mass formation psychosis. But I see that, and I think, like, well, of course they're going to be somewhat the people who are most concerned about it are going to get a vaccine right that's they're much more likely <laughs> like the people who are concerned and think that the risk of covid is real are much more likely to be triple vaxxed and yeah they probably feel somewhat better now that they're vaccinated but at the same time they are concerned about a, a breakthrough infection or you know i was reading through some of the responses to to bevan's tweet and you know, aside from, you know, a bunch of, of backslapping that was going on from other people that that also think it's ridiculous to be concerned about COVID. There were a few people that, you know, were also just, you know, saying no duh, of course. And one guy was saying, I'm triple vexed and I'm still concerned about getting infected because if I do, I might pass it on to my my wife who is currently being treated for stage three cancer. Yeah. And people were giving that dude shit, saying like, 
that that they were saying that's not the same thing at all. Like, get your own, start your own thread. And like, I'm like, I, I'm thinking, I'm reading that, thinking that's exactly what this is about. He's making a he's he's directly giving an example of somebody who's triple vaxxed and still concerned about a breakthrough infection because he might be infectious enough around his wife that she could inadvertently get it from him even though he's been vaccinated three times. Not to mention, besides the otherwise potentially much more dire health implications, there's also the economic implications for an individual, especially somebody who is living paycheck to paycheck yeah. and doesn't have the, the luxury of being out for whatever period of time. I was lucky enough in 2020 that uh, I'm in a about the the bluest city in the country just about and a combination of federal funding and local funding has made a lot of things a little bit better one of those things is that when i got covid incidentally literally within days of getting my vaccine so it was like god damn it really but nevertheless i got covid uh, uh and and i and i got the first and second dose um, and to clarify for anybody who doesn't know, there's a lag time of, of effectiveness between when you get the vaccine and uh, when it starts protecting you. So in case that's unclear to anybody listening. Anyway, I happened to get it in 2020, right at the height of funding for all the things. So I got paid 10 days off and it didn't eat into my Seattle mandated uh, paid sick and safe time off, PSST, uh-huh. as it's called in King County. Didn't eat into that. It was federally funded that comes down to the local municipalities and all the rest of it. It was great. Yeah. Catch it now in 2021. Yeah, we're over that. That's old news. old news. We don't care anymore. Yeah, nobody cares. There's no, fundi- there's no funding for that. If you catch it now, go fuck yourself. That's another reason why somebody obviously would be concerned about getting sick even after they've been vaccinated. Because you can get a breakthrough infection and you could be sick for three days. And yeah, you're not going to end up in a hospital. It's just going to, it's going to be the equivalent of a nasty cold. But you're not getting paid. A lot of people don't have sick time. I'm lucky enough to live in Seattle where, where certain amounts of sick time is required. Another big mass formation psychosis believer is Tim Swain. Tim Swain's a 2022 Senate candidate from South Carolina who describes himself on his website as proud father, proud son, proud husband, proud South Carolinian, America first candidate for U.S. Senate 2022. The other day, he tweeted a photo of an almost empty grocery store dairy section on January 24th with the caption, last night was empty milk section, no meat, no ground turkey, no chicken. And people still actually are convinced it's a strong economy and Biden does a good job. Mass formation psychosis is real and millions of them have it. Sad. (laughs) I think the best part is that Tim Swain is absolutely outraged that President Biden is still holding up the milk, chicken and ground turkey deliveries to his local grocery store. (laughs) It's a it's a conspiracy against him specifically. It seriously is. That, and that is the true crime, not having access to lean, healthy meats. 
we still don't know exactly what mass formation psychosis is describing, other than that it sounds like an unnecessarily new word for groupthink. To get a clear definition, we're going straight to Matthias Desmet, the godfather of mass formation psychosis. During an appearance on Aubrey Marcus's podcast, he describes what mass formation psychosis is and how it happens. Aubrey Marcus is a wellness guru and until recently he was the CEO of Onnit. And this, I know this brand because long, long ago, I actually listened. I'm not sure if I am ashamed to say this or it gives me greater insight. I used to listen to Joe Rogan many years ago. I, I used to listen to Rogan years ago, too. He started getting wacky at a certain point, and I stopped listening to him. But I actually think he was he, always wacky, and I just, just, I just realized it. Uh, it may be one of those. I so some someone described uh, or gave a reason why they don't ever need to watch or listen to Joe Rogan, and the 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 reason was that they, that. When I was a kid, my friend had a 27-year-old brother who used to get high and tell me that cell phones were invented by the Mayans. I don't need to listen to Rogan. <laughs> I would always listen to the episodes where he was talking with another comedian called... If he was talking with a UFC fighter or somebody else, I'd be like, skip, Yeah, the, done, the, the comedian ones it. were pretty funny. Yeah, the, and he still does those. I don't think they're as funny as they used to be because now he's, like, radioactive. Just know that... Joe Rogan was an early investor in on it and became part owner of the company. All the loose threads are drawing together now. <laughs> Everything is connected. <laughs> it's all coming together. The conspiracy together. theorists were right, except it's actually <laughs> just a bunch of influencers that know each other. Before Desmond gets into his description, he does a little re-engineering of our timeline of events as if we weren't there. He's getting in there and just making a few tweaks. No one's going to notice, probably. I, I don't even really think that he's intentionally trying to fool anyone. You can tell when he's talking, he doesn't sound like he's going out of his way to bullshit everybody. He doesn't seem disingenuous when he's speaking. It might be just him selectively remembering or conveniently misremembering. It fits his story about mass formation psychoses a lot better. Here, here's Desmond describing his version of the global COVID-19 response. So I'd love to start with uh, a little explanation of your background and where you're coming from and where you've gotten um, your education and, and, uh, and some of your credentials uh, to talk about what we're about to talk about. Oh, that's great. Yes. So I, I, I actually, I, I am a professor in clinical psychology and I lecture at, at Ghent University in Belgium. Um, and I'm also I have a double degree actually. I'm 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 I have a degree in in, in psychology, but also I also have a master got a master in statistics. So meaning that uh, I I could take two different angles or two perspectives on this crisis actually. Yeah, and that's kind of where that's kind of where things started for you because with your background in statistics you started noticing that there was models that were being projected out into the world. And then the models were not making sense uh, pretty quickly. So tell us how that got into, you know, your mind as far as taking a look at things and thinking, hmm, something's not quite right here. Yes. So in, indeed, in, in the beginning of the crisis, so around uh, 
the end of February 2020, I uh, I. I for, uh, first, I, I, I took the perspective of a statistician. Indeed, I started to to, to study some numbers and some figures and some um, the mortality rates, the in infection fatality rate, the case fatality rate, stuff like that. And uh, I, I immediately got the impression that uh, that that most statistical uh, uh, models uh, overestimated uh, the dangerousness of the of the virus. Uh, and um, uh, by the end of 2020, in my opinion, uh, by the end of May 2020, uh, this was proven beyond doubt, I think, because the models that were used uh, or on which the, the corona measures were based worldwide uh, uh, predicted, so those were the models of, of Imperial, Imperial College in, uh, in, uh, in London, uh, these models predicted that in a country such as Sweden, uh, about uh, 80,000 people would die by the end of May 2020 if the country did not go into lockdown. And uh, the country did not go into lockdown and only 6,000 people died, um, and which means about yeah, 13 times less uh, uh, than was pre predicted. So the, the, the predictions of Imperial College were, were completely off, actually. Um, and um, the, the strangest thing was for me that uh, at that moment, uh, like the, the 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 corona measures uh, or or the or the, the the people in charge always claimed that that they relied on mathematical modeling and on science actually, but uh, uh, when it was proven beyond doubt that uh, the initial models uh, were completely wrong, the measures continued, the corona measures continued as if nothing was wrong, as if as if, as if the models were right. So that was a, like for me that was a. Uh, a strong sign that uh, uh, there were things going on at a psychological level that were really powerful. Besides other things, of course, like something mm. that all that also struck me in the beginning of the crisis was that um, political leaders never seem to have taken into account. Uh, the collateral damage caused by the measures, and so, like in my opinion, if you uh, take measures against the virus, the first thing that you would consider is uh, whether the, the measures you take, for instance, the lockdowns, uh, will not claim more uh, uh, victims uh, than the virus could claim. And that was exactly, so like in the beginning of the crisis, um, uh, institutions such as the United Nations uh, warned us immediately uh, that uh, uh, there could be uh, uh, more people dying from hunger, from starvation in developing countries than there could possibly die from the virus if no measures were taken at all. So it showed us immediately that actually the remedy could be far worse uh, uh, than the disease in this case. And also that in one way or another, uh, nobody seemed really able uh, to take into account both uh, the, um, uh, the, 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 the victims that could be claimed by the virus on the one hand and the collateral damage caused by the, by the corona measures. At never during this crisis, we saw one mathematical model that calculated both the number of victims that could die from the virus and the collateral damage of the measures. Never. Huh? This never happened. And that's, and that's just, it's, it's such a basic thing that you would do, 
you know, if you if you're acting in good faith and you want to do the best thing for the world, the best thing for the country, you look at all different options and you assess risk and reward for all different options and you make a logical decision. You know, I want to hit on something that he said. He used the term people in charge. There's a film that I fucking love. It's called Risk Cutters, A Love Story. It actually has the guy from Google Bordello in it, the the lead singer, if you can believe it. In this film, don't worry, listeners, I'm not giving anything away, but you should absolutely watch it if you haven't watched it. Uh, trigger warning, suicide-related things, I suppose. They reference throughout the whole film the PIC, the people in charge, they, the man, or the smoking man, just what whatever kind of they you want. The people in charge is just such a great fill-in. You can't take anybody seriously who who relies on these sort of sweeping things like nobody was paying attention to the collateral effects of lockdowns. No political leaders were concerned. All the predictions were wrong. The people in charge did this as if they're a monolith. As if there's not a bunch of individuals making decisions and trying to deal with things. In multiple different institutions. I, I think we should probably just take a couple of these things one by one here. His, his first criticism that he brings up is that the predictions reported in March 2020 from the Imperial College London were overestimates regarding how many people they predicted would die if no lockdown measures were put into effect. It was March. The pandemic had been going for a few weeks, a month. The only data that we were really seeing was largely coming out of China at that point. China looked insane as far as the, the, the information that was coming out of there. What was going on in Wuhan was... Everything was changing every single exactly. week. It seemed like the end of and the world. Look at how things played out in Italy. COVID just ran through that country. Spain, too. Spain, Iran, too. I believe, as well. So, yeah, the Imperial College London, their predictions were not universally accurate. But that's the, that's the thing that he, he's glossing over. If he, if he actually was looking for a nuanced understanding of this, he would be talking about how statistical models can be wrong. And because there's a couple of ways they can go wrong. They can go wrong because the data that's being put into them is incomplete, or they can go wrong because they're just not good, a, a, an accurate picture of what's happening in reality. They're not useful as a predictive tool. They could also go wrong when variables change. Exactly. That's what I mean about the information being incomplete. And in a, in a situation that's totally in flux, like a pandemic, especially the very beginning of one, where you're seeing massive loss of life go on and massive illness and an overrun of hospital systems, that of course there's going to be errors that are going to come into this. And if you remember back, you know, where are you, like you were talking about earlier, this re-engineering of the timeline, is it's important to notice it because if we forget this stuff, then people can come back and retell this story however they want. It might not be malicious. It could just be misremembering. But it still colors our view of how things went. All this stuff is available to be looked up. All of these articles are available to be looked up from, from 2020. They're still online. They're not, nothing's been retired. Nothing's been hidden. There, there's this discussion of the 
fatality percentage of it. As if during 2020, it wasn't the number two thing after heart disease. I want to focus on remembering during 2020, and it may still be the case in quite a few areas. I remember during 2020 when they didn't have enough places to put the bodies. So they were renting out semis to, to, for cold storage. His explanation about this only works if nobody remembers any of that shit. And, and when you have the hospitals that are so overloaded that they cannot handle not only those patients, but also the ordinary infections and injuries and other things, you've got a huge backlog of a system that cannot handle it, whether it is a system like the United States or even European systems that are better equipped. All this comes down to that Matthias Desmet's big bit of evidence, his massive evidence of worldwide hypnosis, is that researchers from the MRC Center for Global Infectious Disease Analysis inside Imperial College London, which partners with agencies around the world, had incorrectly modeled the spread of SARS-CoV-2 less than two months after COVID-19 was declared a pandemic. That's the big piece of evidence for mass hypnosis. I mean, does he think that there's nobody around inside that organization that also has a knowledge of statistics? Does he think that they were just winging it? Does he think <laughs> that they were just like fucking with the numbers and just like, oh, that you know, this looks good. We're going to go with this. They, they, they literally were blind to the actual, the actual calculations in front of them. And they just couldn't say this isn't as bad as it looks. The next thing that Desmet talks about is that no political leaders were concerned with the collateral damage of lockdowns. That one is easy to criticize because it's this argument that's entirely based on counterfactuals. What if they had been concerned with collateral damage? Then they wouldn't have done lockdowns. That's what, that's what Desmet's trying to say, that lockdowns wouldn't have happened if people were concerned with the real collateral damage that lockdowns inflicted on people. But the problem with counterfactual arguments is that you can't ever test it. You can't ever go back to a place like Spain in March of 2020 or June of 2020. You can't ever go back to Italy in the middle of 20, the summer of 2020 or New York or any of these other population centers that were just totally run through by COVID. You can't go back and just say, well, if we didn't do lockdowns, then things would have been like this. It would have just run its course. Or a lot of people would have, got, would have gotten sick, but that's nothing compared to how many people that died from the, the measures that the lockdown, you know, from the lockdown measures or from collateral damage of the lockdowns. You can't go back and just rearrange that and then run it again and see how it goes. So you can just say whatever you want. You, you can totally ignore what actually happened and just live in the fantasy about what could have happened if it had been done your way. Imagining which variables we could tweak is a ridiculous exercise. I mean, it might be. A, it's, a, it's a fun what if story, but that's about all it is. It's, a, it's a, just an exercise to go through to try to imagine downstream consequences from these changes that you're that you're going to be making even even so you know even if you, if you put his counterfactual argument to the side what he's saying happened didn't even happen the idea that no political leaders were concerned with collateral damage from lockdowns that wasn't a thing 
everybody was concerned there with was collateral damage. Uproar. There was nothing but public debate. It was very vocal debate about what, what effects the lockdowns are going to have on marginalized populations, populations that are already getting hit hard by economic, economic problems and lack of access to healthcare in general. What was going to happen to those populations? That was on almost everybody's mind. When you have Republicans, of all people, who are actually voting for and advocating 600 bucks on top of the unemployment benefits, giving out stimulus, stimulus checks uh, with no strings attached, 1200 bucks. Well, they were clearly hypnotized. And so, they were clearly hypnotized. <laughs> <laughs> That's just mass formation psychosis. All those rhinos. <laughs> so just so that we can yeah, like clear the air on this and put Desmet's argument down once and for all, there's a couple of articles here that I found. This one is from November of 2020, and it is specifically related. It's a Reuters article from November 2020 that's specifically talking about the negative effects of lockdowns. This is from the article. However, it is also true that some lockdown measures may have a direct impact on a person's income and mental health. Further reading about short, mid, and long-term effects of lockdowns are visible here. This is a Reuters thing to just like link to things randomly in a really awkward kind of way. The World Health Organization explains here, again another link, that such measures can have a profound negative impact on individuals, communities, and societies by bringing social and economic life to a near stop, something that, according to the organization, disproportionately affects vulnerable groups. But evidence also suggests that stringent but temporary restrictions could actually benefit the economic recovery because they reduce the spread of the disease. The International Monetary Fund, for example, determined here, that while lockdowns impose short-term costs, they may lead to a, quote, faster economic recovery. The organization states that by bringing infections under control, lockdowns may thus pave the way to a faster economic recovery as people feel more comfortable about resuming normal activities. Reuters contacted two experts, Dr. Elizabeth Stewart, Associate Dean for Education at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Fucking Bloomberg again, no wonder. Now we know, where the, again, where the money comes from. Between Bloomberg and Soros. And Dr. Stuart Ray, infectious disease expert with the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Both confirm that lockdowns do reduce transmission of, SAR, of the SARS-CoV-2 and highlighted that a more targeted or proportional approach of, of restrictions can mitigate the risk of infection while balancing other concerns about the economy and mental health. So there it is. Nobody is concerned about the collateral damage of lockdowns except the WHO, the IMF, the Associate Dean for Education at, the, at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, and an infectious disease expert with the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Aside from the, all those people that are in those organizations, nobody is concerned about the collateral damage of lockdowns. Sean, who's heard of any of them anyways? Right, I know, right. A bunch of nobodies. Do they have a master's degree in statistics? Come on. Another article in The Atlantic from September 2020 discussing why r naught is useful for modeling. What, what does the RO stand for? Uh, it's R of zero. It was basically, it's a, it's a tool used to describe how infectious a disease is. Oh, okay. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. All right. 
I don't I don't know how much background I want to go into this. I don't know how much I'm capable of going into. Arnot was early on in the COVID pandemic relied upon as a descriptive measure for how infectious SARS-CoV-2 was. Oh, I remember this now. After a while, epidemiologists and virologists determined that it actually wasn't that useful at, uh, in modeling how COVID-19 spreads in a community. So they dumped it because they're not fucking hypnotized and they were looking at the new data as it was coming in and they decided to revise older models to better suit what they were witnessing. This is just an example of how how models of the virus were continuously revised based on new information. All of this was published openly in The Atlantic, one of the most popular magazines in the world. Obviously not information anyone was hiding from anybody. So I guess the, the editors of The Atlantic and the author, uh, Zainab Tefekshi, took a break that day from being hypnotized <laughs> so that they could push this article out on the world and have it be ignored by all the hypnotized people. Well, they were probably trying out on it some of their supplements. The, the neurojuicer supplement? Well, see, it, with enough nootropics, you can avoid... You have to combine the nootropics with the... Um, there, there's a specific headgear. It's typically made from an aluminum yeah. alloy. The, the, the on-it street legal Adderall. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Read this one. <laughs> there's something strange about this coronavirus pandemic. Even after months of extensive research by the global scientific community, many questions remain open. Why, for instance, was there such an enormous death toll in northern Italy, but not the rest of the country? Just three contiguous regions in northern Italy have 25,000 of the country's nearly 36,000 total deaths. Just one region, Lombardy, has about 17,000 deaths. Almost all of these were concentrated in the first few months of the outbreak. What happened in Guayaquil, Ecuador, in April, when so many died so quickly that bodies were abandoned in the sidewalks and streets? Why, in the spring of 2020, did so few cities account for the substantial portion of global deaths, while many others with similar density, weather, age, distribution, and travel patterns were spared? What can we really learn from Sweden, hailed as the great success by some because, it, because of its low case counts and deaths as the rest of Europe experiences a second wave and as a big failure by others because it did not lock down and suffered excessive death rates earlier in the pandemic? Why did widespread predictions of catastrophe in Japan not bear out? The baffling examples go on. Japan's an interesting uh, situation because they didn't ever really have any sort of intensive lockdown situation. You know, they were doing like social distancing and wearing masks in public and that kind of stuff, but they didn't really shut down. I haven't been able to go to Japan because the stuff that I was going to go for is not happening. So in a sense, I guess you could say it is quote unquote locked down. Otherwise, a lot of businesses were just operating normally. That's really interesting. I, I know plenty of people in Japan and yeah, they're like, everything's different right now. People are a little, you know, people are kind of freaked out by everything and they have been for the past two years. And this was early on in the pandemic. They, they were freaked out by everything. Now everybody's used to it, but at least as much as you can get used to all of it. 
but it was still everything was still operating. Right, right. Yet they did not have extensive COVID deaths. Not in not on par with other countries that did have lockdown measures and still had you know an amazing loss of life. So th- this these, article these, these variables don't match. So this the model. So this article from 2020 it's what it's doing is pointing it out. It's pointing out this is confusing. There there yeah. are all these contradictions. There there are these hidden variables that we don't understand. We have not identified them. But just because of that it doesn't mean lockdowns don't work. It, or it doesn't mean that that, that <laughs> shelter in place orders don't work or you know or even any kind of restrictions like wearing a mask or social distancing things like that this is the stuff that's held up as an example of mass formation psychosis why would everybody stand 6 feet apart why would they wear a mask in public why would they get vaccinated you know all of this stuff is just there there must be crazy well and and, and they're pointing the people who are pushing that line of thinking are, are pointing out that, I mean, look, you Sweden, you know, it was predicted that 30,000 people or whatever are going to die. And it was only six. OK, so the model was wrong. Does that mean COVID's not real? Does it mean that you shouldn't take this shit seriously? Like, what are you talking about? And you wonder, like, you know, what rock do these people crawl under from? You know, like what, what kind of subterranean creature comes out and tries to push this sort of narrative that directly defies this common memory that we have. I remember during 2020, towards the end of it, and also during 2021, people referencing the huge drop-off in flu cases, yeah. in influenza cases. I heard so many people pointing to those things and I don't even remember the argument. It was so preposterous that it doesn't even make sense. I can't even replicate it in my mind. But it was something along the lines of trying to discredit the the models about COVID, the, the ideas that we should socially distance and wear masks and things of that nature. And they were pointing to this huge drop in these in these other socially communicated diseases, airborne diseases, mm-hmm. as evidence. That we should not be doing things like wearing masks and socially distancing and staying the fuck home. Mm-hmm. And my head was exploding every time I heard this. That's why they're dropping, you fucking idiot. I, I, I miss when social diseases just meant like chlamydia and gonorrhea. <laughs> oh, yeah, a social disease. I still use that term this day because I want to resurrect it from the 20s. All right, go for it. I've heard many explanations for these widely differing trajectories over the past nine months, whether elderly populations, vitamin D, prior immunity, herd immunity, but none of them explains the timing or the scale of these drastic variations. But there's a potential overlooked way of understanding this pandemic that would help answer these questions. Reshuffle many of the current heated arguments and crucially help us get the spread of COVID-19 under control. Again, level-headedness, thoughtfulness, trying to take in as much information as possible, acknowledging limitations of the models that are being employed. Oh, it's all all hypnosis, all of it. The last part of Matias's comments that I want to talk about are just a few of the scholarly articles that I was able to find after searching for maybe 15 minutes or so 
all of these articles were published in mid-2020, all of them are talking about the negative effects of lockdowns. I'm not going to read from each of these, but here's a couple of the titles. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly of COVID-19 Lockdown Effects on Wildlife Conservation. Insights from the First European Lockdown Country. Oh yeah, these hypnotized people were only concerned about the animals. Lockdowns in the COVID-19 pandemic. What is the end game? Modeling prediction and design of COVID-19 lockdowns by stringency and duration. Scientific reports. The ethical challenges of the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic and the global south and the global north. Same and different. Researchers were talking about the negative effects of lockdowns the entire time. Here's another one. Oh, this, is, this isn't from 2020. It's from 2021. Really late. Obviously, hypnosis was wearing off. <laughs> Communicating expert consensus increases personal support for COVID-19 mitigation policies. This is from 2021. Perceptions of COVID-19 lockdowns and related public health measures in Austria. A longitudinal online survey. Uh, let's see. Article from 2021. Lockdown as a public health measure. There's no, there's just no end to these. Uh, they're one after another. There were people concerned about this absolutely entire time. Maternal and child health during the COVID-19 pandemic. Contributions in the field of human biology. That was from September of 2020. Risks to children and young people during COVID-19 pandemic. April of 2020. Lived experiences of frontline healthcare providers offering maternal and newborn services amidst the novel corona coronavirus disease 19 pandemic in Uganda, a qualitative study. That was December of 2021. Oh, that's way late. Obviously not hypnotized anymore. The serum is no longer in the water supply right, at it's, that point. The, the fluoride's so, wearing off. You have to reintroduce a new chemtrail lines and uh th that really requires a whole lot of investment i think this all ties the it ties in with the, the u.n weather control satellites <laughs> some of this shit gets super boring i i really I, like while i was researching this episode i just found myself wondering like what have i gotten myself into why am i doing this why am i trying to debunk this nut job and talk about why mass formation psychosis is just complete bullshit. Going this deep into articles about the pandemic and then fact-checking a bunch of guys on the internet is really dull. But at the same time, it really bothers me every time some asshole starts to re try to reinvent the past to suit his own view of the world. And I think we, what we all need to make sure that we can actually remember what the hell happened so that these people can't gaslight us. That's the thing that kept me going through this episode because digging through the people who are just spouting off mass formation psychosis left and right is terrible. Don't nobody else should do this. Nobody listening should do that. Well, then again, you absolutely go do it because everybody needs to know how bad it is. Nobody should be protected from anything in the world. The long 2020, which extended a period of two years, at least. I am reflecting on things that were so obvious to me during the early period of the pandemic. 
and I'm remembering a, an assortment of things as we're having this discussion that I totally forgot. Certain emotions, certain reactions, certain information as it was rolling out, totally forgot. And it's not that I lost the information, but it wasn't present in my mind in the timeline. And it didn't take me any trouble at all to recall it. But it's easy to imagine how we can forget so easily what we were thinking and what we were feeling at each stage of the journey, especially as it seems as though time itself has become topsy-turvy. Uh, or as Dr. Who says, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey things. This is so important to anchor us in our consideration of how we view the world based on where we were, even those experiences when we were there, we can lose sight of the timeline. Yeah. And we only have our own individual experience of all this stuff. If we're not reading things, if we're not talking to other people, if we're not hearing other people's experiences and their stories, then it's easy to to just have our own experience of, of what went on, our own subjective view of it all, and think that's how it was. And maybe even mistakenly think that's how it was for everybody. I I really don't miss my sort of paranoia about COVID and, you know, constantly refreshing the world map of like how the cases counts are growing in different parts of the planet. I was doing the same thing. I don't miss all the stuff that I used to have on my COVID dashboard <laughs> while I was... <laughs> <laughs> Now we're going to get to the point where Desmond finally does get into how mass formation psychosis actually works. We're back to Aubrey Marcus's podcast. I started to, to really think about uh, what, what psychological dynamic or processes could be responsible for, for, for this lack of uh, openness of mind in a situation. And it took me several months, actually, it took me until August 2020 to really, in my opinion, hit the nail <laughs> and, and, to, and to, 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 to suddenly see that uh, what we were dealing with was a large-scale phenomenon of mass formation, of what is called mass formation. And uh, looking backward, it, 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 it seems really surprising to me that it took me so long because I had been lecturing uh, uh, for three or four years uh, about this psychological process, which, which showed actually that also I, as a psychologist, was very much uh, 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 under the spell of, 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 of this process, or at least that, that also for me, it was it was really difficult uh, to see what was going on, and I believe that's the same for my for my uh, for my colleagues uh, in psychology. Most of them uh, 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 are really not aware of, of 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 what is going on at this moment. I mean, ninety nine percent. Yeah. So it doesn't necessitate some evil intent or some you know powerful cabal that's trying to do no. something to harm people it's just a psychological process that's of course difficult to difficult to resist unless you become aware of it uh, yes yes it's a psychological process that is for 95 percent uh an, un an unconscious process both at the level of the masses and at the level of the leaders of the masses so that, that that's one uh, uh very important thing that the leaders of the masses usually 
uh, are also grasped in the process of mass formation. But maybe we should go into detail a little bit and tell how it emerges in a society, the process of Absolutely. mass formation. Absolutely. Is that okay? Please. So like, like mass formation is a specific kind of group formation and it, 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 it emerges or, uh, in a society when uh, very specific conditions are met. Uh, 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 and, and the most central of these conditions, the most important of these conditions, is that there should be a lot of people who experience a lack of social bond, a lot of people who, who feel socially isolated. And from, from, the, from this first condition follows the second one, which means that a lot of people experience life as meaningless or senseless. And um, uh, for instance, think about uh, the phenomenon of the bullshit jobs. I don't know if you're familiar with this mm -hmm. phenomenon, uh, uh, Professor Graeber in, the, in, 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 uh, in Great Britain wrote a book about it, with a bit of, which was titled Bullshit Jobs. And he describes how research shows that uh, when you ask people whether, whether they think their job is meaningful, 50% of the people answers not at all. 50% feels uh, that their job is not meaningful at all, that it doesn't mean anything to anyone. So it's, it's, it's also a very nice example, I think. Yeah. And the third condition follows actually from the, from the first two conditions. And, me, and the third condition is that there, in order for mass formation to emerge, there should be a lot of what psychologists call free floating anxiety and free floating psychological discontent meaning that uh, you know if you're anxious of a lion you know what you're anxious for so the the, the 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 anxiety is connected to the mental representation or the mental image of a lion but if people feel socially isolated and if they feel that their life has no meaning then they are confronted with a kind of anxiety that is free-floating. That means that it is not connected to, to a mental representation and with a lot of psychological discontent that is not connected with a mental representation. And also that at that level, we see uh, very striking things, namely that, for instance, in, in a country such as Belgium, um, uh, each year, 300 million doses of antidepressants are used in a population of about 11 million. And then we are talking only about antidepressants, there are also antipsychotics and sleeping pills and all anti-anxiety medications. Yep. The fourth condition is that there should be a lot of free-floating frustration and aggression, meaning like people should feel, and that actually follows from from the other conditions as well. So the people should feel frustrated and feeling aggressive uh, uh, without also really knowing. Uh, 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 what the cause of their frustration and aggression is. Uh, so, the, 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 and then if, if these four conditions uh, are fulfilled uh, in, in, in society, then uh, 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 the population is in a, in a mental state uh, in which something very specific can happen, can happen. Meaning that if under these conditions, a narrative, a story is distributed, through the mass media, indicating an object of anxiety, and at the same time, providing a strategy to deal with this object of anxiety, then the following happens, or might happen. All the free-floating anxiety, free-floating anxiety, which is extremely painful because it, it always threatens to turn into panic. So all this free-floating anxiety is attached to, connected to the object of anxiety, 
indicated in the narrative. And there is a huge willingness to participate in the strategy to deal with this object of anxiety. Because in this way, people feel that they can control their anxiety and their psychological discontent better. So all this anxiety connects to this object of anxiety, and there is a huge willingness to participate in the strategy. And that leads up to something very specific. People suddenly feel connected again in a heroic struggle with the object of anxiety. So a new kind of solidarity, a new kind of social bond, and a new kind of meaning-making, sense-making emerges in society. And that's the reason why people follow the narrative, why people buy into the narrative, and why they are willing to participate in the strategy, even if it is utterly absurd. Because the reason why they follow it has nothing to do with the fact that it is correct or accurate or, or, or scientific. Not at all. The reason why they buy into the narrative is because it leads to this new social bond, this new solidarity. People are social beings and being socially isolated of maximal connectedness, of the maximal connectedness that exists in a crowd or a mass. And that in itself leads up to a kind of mental intoxication, which is the real reason why people stick to the narrative, why, pe why people are willing to go along with the narrative, even as we said, if it is utterly wrong and even more important, if, even if they lose everything that is important to them personally, because it's mass formation is a kind of hypnosis. And just like in hypnosis, the attention is focused on this very small part of reality that is indicated by the story. And just like in hypnosis, people are not aware of everything that happens mentally outside of this small focus of attention. That's very something very striking. Like in hypnosis, what you see is that a simple hypnotic procedure is sufficient uh, to focus the attention of someone so much on one aspect of reality that he will that the person will never feel that someone cuts into his flesh. It's a procedure that is used in some hospitals when someone is allergic to a, to a chemical anesthesia, sometimes a simple hypnotic procedure is used which focuses the attention on, 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 on a positive thing, and then the surgeon can cut straight through the, breast, through the breastbone. The patient will not feel it. So that's, that's exactly what happens in mass formation. The attention is focused on the, on the, on the virus, for instance, in this, in this case. And then uh, people are not aware that they lose uh, every, their psychological health or their physical health or that they lose their... Their, their wealth, uh, uh, the, 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 their, their material well-being, and so on. Um, uh, uh, that's, the, that's one of the most problematic aspects of, uh, of the phenomenon of mass formation. And it can be, it can be productive, right? Like the... when, you, when you hear one wacky source after another talk about a thing in a certain way, and then you hear something from this source's own mouth, it becomes a much more nuanced kind of thing. I listen to this guy, and... I'm thinking there is about kind of a 50-50 split on things that make sense versus things that sound totally crazy. Some of these things really do sound quite reasonable. It when really you, does. When you shoehorn them all together into this 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 uh this terminology 
that is used and abused in the way that it is, it gets this character and this flavor, especially from the people who use and abuse it. When you're hearing it from the horse's mouth, with all of the nuance, some of these things are almost identical to some of the authors that I like. He He's very convincing in his explanations of things. I don't think it really matches my idea of at least what I think of as hypnosis. Like not even a stage magician hypnosis, but actual clinical hypnosis. His example of the patient under surgery that's hypnotized because he's allergic to anesthetic, and that's the only thing that they have available is hypnosis, and he doesn't know that his arm's being cut into. Okay, I've heard about that kind of thing existing. It's not it's not terribly surprising to me to hear him tell that story. I don't know that that's exactly what's going on with with uh with crowd behaviors or groupthink. I'm not sure if it's the same phenomenon or not. I feel like he's stretching that like a Hulk Hogan 80s action figure. I, I think he is too. I remember that stretchy guy. I, I think some things that, that really should be pointed out though is that when you have a guy who is, you know, he's a, he's a professor of clinical psychology. He's at a university. He's teaching classes. He's part of a department. There's a bunch of other professors of clinical psychology there. And when he makes comments like, I was really surprised that none of my colleagues were seeing the same thing. 99% of them don't understand it. I think you really have to pause. Okay, so are you this one expert that is able to see the truth, even though 99% of your colleagues don't see the same thing? Or... Is it more likely that you're somebody who has gotten a hold of a thread and can't stop yourself from pulling it and nobody else has that problem? Or he's hyper fixating on a handful of very specific details and putting to yeah. them together in such a way that it seems like it's a, a an important model. It's just a handful of details, perhaps. We can also think, I think of it, in how every... <laughs> overly dramatic history channel or discovery doc De discovery channel documentary talks about historians or somebody else they play the same narrative of the protagonist in the most dramatic tone every time all of their colleagues dismissed them at first they ridiculed them they cast them aside they thought they were crazy. They thought they were crazy. It's the same story in every one of these hyperbolic documentaries. I don't know if that's true, but it's the same story that they tell. I imagine that he's portraying himself in the same fashion. Yeah. The problem comes in the ex... Like, when you get into some of the details of what he's talking about, uh, you know, using what he's calling mass formation psychosis. And, and first off, the way he introduces it, he says, what is called mass formation psychosis? As if that's a term that's being widely employed in, you know, among diverse circles all over academia. It's been around since the 19th century. Clearly. It's nobody's, nobody's ever used this term before. I mean, maybe somebody used it before him, but it's not some widely used term that everybody knows about already. But then immediately... The, he gets the host, Aubrey Marcus, who has obvious, you know, has maybe heard of it just a couple of times. He gets him to immediately use the same term. 
if anything is hypnosis, it's that. Yeah. Convincing him to immediately say the same thing that he just said. When you get into some of the details, it it's, doesn't really hold up as an ex, as an explanation for much of anything other than this current situa- social situation that he's describing. If he's trying to just use it to describe this current situation that we're finding ourselves in, in you know the beginning of 2022 that's one thing but he's trying to apply it to the the early 1900s and nazi germany you know and this this is where where robert malone's explanation falls apart when he's trying to describe how mass what is it mass formation psychosis god i can't even remember the thing um where mass formation psychosis is used to to explain why Germans acted the way they did in the 30s and why they were they were uh persecuting the Jews. Okay, well, just like in Robert Malone's example, he he kind of jumps over this part when he's talking about the Germans, but when he's talking about contemporary the US in 2022, he says immediately, you know, the lack of social bonds and we're more alone than ever and we're all in our devices. And the same thing happened in this clip where Aubrey Marcus is talking about, you know, he's starting to read these studies about Gen Xers and millennials, how they're, they're the, the loneliest demographic, the loneliest age demographic, even lonelier than elderly people. Oh, all right. Well, how exactly does that fit with Germany in the 30s? Where was the lack of social bonds there? I, I seriously doubt there was any lack of social bonds that were, or that there was anything at least appreciably different with the social bonds in Germany in the 30s than the social bonds in the 1890s. Yes, there was the fallout of World War One, but which means that there's going to be a lot of people missing from society because they died during the war. But how is that? You need to be able to put that together. How is that affecting social bonds? There's another word for this. That's where there's another word for this alienation. The alienation question, as well as the anxiety question, is not new fucking territory. This is well traveled territory in sociology, in psychology, in philosophy, but it's being introduced as if it's this novel discovery. You combine these ingredients and all of a sudden when you put it in your pot and you stir it with your witch's stirring spoon, you have this special potion. There's no special potion here. I mean, he's not wrong about this sense of life's meaninglessness and sen- or senselessness. He is not wrong about that at all. I like I I'm a fan of of Graeber's book Bullshit Jobs. I've you know, I've listened to him describe it in interviews as well. It's a, it's a very compelling discussion because people, a lot of people do feel like their job is inherently meaningless. Of course they do. Yeah. You spend eight hours a day filling out TPS reports and you answer <laughs> to three different bosses. Eight. Yeah. Your eight job, bosses, Bob. I mean, your, your job sucks. Your job absolutely sucks. That's a terrible thing to do. Regardless of the money that's involved. That that does create a sense of meaningless, like meaninglessness. What am I doing with all this time? I'm wasting my life doing this. He's describing as a core ingredient something that is the whole territory of the existentialists and their related characters. That that's exactly what I was gonna say, is that this is not something that is that 
people have just stumbled across, but that doesn't mean we should disregard it. I think it has probably gotten a lot worse in the last hundred years. You know, that's not nothing. That's something to really pay attention to. When we're talking about all of these people quitting their jobs with what, you know, we're calling the great resignation, or I say, I saw it, um, uh, God, what was the term that I just heard of? It was, uh, uh, the fuck it infection. It was, it was some, it was some portmanteau. The one, the one that I thought of as soon as I heard it was resignitis. Ah, that was what it was. <laughs> no, that wasn't what it was. No. That was me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, th- of, you know, this is why, th- this is another reason why people are quitting their jobs right now. Like, not only are they tired of getting abused by their employers and having benefits taken away and not getting paid sufficiently, their jobs are totally pointless and they take up a bunch of their time. So if you have a pointless job, and you don't have something else going on in your life where the the reason for the job is just to fund this other stuff that you really think is important, then you don't have anything going on. You try to fall back on your family, but then you fall back into this lack of social social bonds thing that they're they're claiming is existing, and maybe even really does exist. And you really have a bunch of just you know people that are drifting. They don't know what to do with themselves. I I, I understand these conditions. These conditions, I'm not, I'm not discounting them. My biggest problem with, with uh, Matthias Desmet is all of his conclusions from these conditions. That's the issue. That's exactly it. I think it. He's, he's, do, he's asking these things, all these conditions to do way too much work or to try to use all this stuff to explain that, oh, this is why we're getting vaccinated. This is why we're wearing masks in public. This is why we, we were in favor of lockdown orders. Something else that I think he's really missing, too, is that the public sentiment about lockdown orders is dramatically different than it was in 2020. I don't if 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 Biden came out tomorrow and he said, all right, that's it. We need to do an economic shutdown and we need to flatten the curve and get two weeks, you know, to, you know, to relieve the hospitals and stuff like that from all this pressure of covid patients. I don't think it would work. No fucking way would it work. Nobody's doing lockdown orders again. It's not happening. Nobody would do it. You'd have these, you know, you'd have the same people we were talking about a, a couple of episodes ago, the 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 pot bangers, you know, supporting the healthcare workers. <laughs> Maybe they would do lockdown orders. Yeah, I saw a TikTok video of two older women with masks on and a guy came into an elevator and he wasn't wearing a mask. And they started yelling at him and like one lady hit him with her phone and like they're trying to shove him out of the elevator. Maybe they would do lockdown orders again, those two <laughs> ladies. Maybe. I actually thought about that. Like like that that's traveling widely on right wing uh, like TikTok and, and uh, on Twitter. And I thought like, well, maybe one of those ladies has cancer or something or she's immune compromised and can't get vaccinated. And she's like, get the fuck out of here with your social protest. I don't care if you hate the vaccine. I'm trying to save my own life here. Yeah. It it was a funny video, but then I thought about it afterwards and like maybe she's sick or maybe her maybe she lives with her even more older her even more elderly mother or something like that or father. I think we can I think we we look at what he's doing here and it's something that we've seen a handful of times before. We've got a, a fresh buzzword that's added to the pop lexicon. We're recycling some vague references to existing ideas. And then there's some of which are plenty of times debunked already under other names. 
And it's all made bulletproof by not being existentially quantifiable in a lot of cases. And then we have this low-rent, low-quality philosophy that sounds like a high school kid who just learned epistemology for the first time. I know. He, he really doesn't sound credible when he talks about this stuff. I mean, like, he does in some places, but in other in other areas, it really just lacks the kind of – it lacks the cohesiveness of a solid argument. He's He just – he, he actually this is this is what this is what i actually think he he's doing the kind of arguing that a person does when they're used to talking to people that agree with them yeah so like he's not really trying he's just going going over the same ground and so when he talks to this dude aubrey marcus he's not getting any pushback he's not getting any questions asked from him He's almost I think even that, surprised when the guy interrupts him to agree with him. Right. Or to, or to offer some statistics. Like, hold on for a second. Let me read some statistics that completely support your position. I think that we might have a very different conversation with uh, – or may, I hear a very different conversation with, uh, with Matthias Desmet if he was talking to somebody who had his level of familiarity with clinical psychology. I think then we, would, we might have a lot – a lot more of a, a lot more detail would come out of this. And it might turn out that he presents a really, really good case. And he's just lazy talking to people who are agreeing with him all the time. And so he's not really challenged on it. Or it might turn out that the whole goddamn thing falls apart because he's, he's just completely used to talking to his own students and to a bunch of podcasters that are looking for any kind of explanation to justify why they think the libs are crazy for wearing masks. <laughs> yeah. I, I, th I Unless you have something you want to talk about, I think we should start winding it down. What do you think? Uh, I think winding it down, I would agree. I would agree winding it down. And I, I was going to recap uh, because, because I feel like hitting his four points. And then I, and I really want to read what psychology today said. There are four points that he's illustrating as necessary conditions. There's a lack of social bonds, a sense of life's meaninglessness or senselessness, free-floating anxiety and free-floating psychological discontent, and free-floating frustration and aggression. These are the four components that are, are necessary to all be together in this stew for people to be led anywhere by the nose by equally unsuspecting leaders. To me, this seems ridiculous, but each of these individual components are not so wild as we've been saying. When we talk about the lack of social bonds, we've, we've talked about alienation at length. When we talk about a sense of life's meaninglessness, everyone knows how much of a fan Cam of Camus I am. When we talk about free-floating anxiety and free-floating psychological discontent. Yeah, uh, no shit, Sherlock. Did you come up with that all on your own, Steve Burns? <laughs> I mean, come on, we don't have to gather blues, blues clues for this shit. And then, of course, we've got free-floating frustration and aggression, which I think is kind of part three and four, sort of the same general things. That's 3A. Yeah, that's 3A. Yeah, we have all these things present, and all of these things contribute to people being much more susceptible to influence if they're experiencing these things. 
we know this. This is this is not new ground, but it also doesn't provide a singular model to describe these sweeping things that he's describing or to be borrowed in the way that Malone borrowed it. Notably, when we have uh, the the sort of PFC, I'm sorry, prefrontal cortex diminishing things such as stressors, fear, anxiety, those sorts of things, we're going to also have amygdaloid activity, reactions where you're not thinking ahead as much, you're not as critically aware or, or, or doing a lot of critical thinking. This is not new territory for neuroscience or psychology. We know these things. And all of these are very true. And he's putting it together and adding some spice of a new term as if it's its own thing. And that's not really what it is. I want to pick apart briefly the last word of it, the psychosis part, which psychology today did a much better job of doing in does mass formation psychosis really exist? Psychiatry has always been careful not to label culturally sanctioned beliefs like religious beliefs as delusions. Accordingly, Delusions, as defined as fixed and false beliefs that are idiosyncratic to the be believer and not shared within a culture or subculture. I, I just want to point out that I don't have that same trouble. I will call all of those things delusional thinking. Yeah, I, I think we yeah. have both used that term many times. If you, if you believe that, that uh, a bunch of aliens were blown up in a volcano with H-bombs, then I will call that delusional thinking. If you think that somebody was born of a virgin, I will call that delusional thinking. A lot of people I've observed use that term, it is my belief, as if that's safe harbor. No. <laughs> Nobody gets to put on any armor and say, I believe something and expect to be saved by, from anybody else's ridicule. Accordingly, Delusions are defined as fixed and false beliefs that are idiosyncratic to the believer and not shared within a culture or subculture. That said, it has long been recognized that delusions are sometimes shared between people. This traditionally occurs with a dyad like a parent and a child, where one person is delusional and the other is impressionable. This has been referred to as folie du, or the insanity of two. Shared psychosis or shared delusion has sometimes been That's applied. It's a great X Files episode. Funny enough, like our podcast nomenclature. Nobody knows that. You can't say that. It's just us. It's a secret. Oh shit! They don't. Oh, it's the hidden secret. That's true. Yeah. Shared psychosis or shared delusion has sometimes been applied to a handful of people sharing delusional belief, but the term was never meant to describe what the journalist Charles Mackey called. Popular Delusions of the Madness of Crowds, back in 1841. Groupthink, whether it occurs in religion or politics, is not a matter of delusional thinking, psychosis, or mental illness, and it's a disservice to those who have mental illness to claim it is. It's also a disservice to ourselves because it distracts us from the real social forces that lead to widespread false belief. Everyone listening is getting very sleepy. Very sleepy. You're feeling a strong sense of relaxation take over you. Your arms are feeling heavy. On the count of three, I'm going to snap my fingers and you'll wake up 
and feel like you've had a long, restful sleep. One, two, Thank you for listening to another episode of WetWired. We truly appreciate all the support and feedback that we've received so far. It means everything to us. If you want to support the show and help us stay ad-free and independent, go to patreon.com forward slash wetwired. You can also support us by leaving a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast on social. Yeah.